There we go. Genesis 14.1, and it begins with two words, after this. Those are the two words, after this. So the question is kind of there, after what? Well, we kind of talked about that last week where Abram went up against four kings in a battle. Um, four, uh, I say kings, I mean, they, they were in charge of big kind of areas and stuff. So a lot of people, and then he took his 318 or 348, I forgot what the number was, trained men and went after him to get Lot, his uh, nephew, back and to get... Uh, to, uh, uh, you know, and he got all their possessions, and God was with him, literally, and God gave him a great victory that day. And when we, um, when he got back, he tied some of that to Melchizedek, and we talked about that, the Lord's priest, and, and you know, he was also uh, the king of Sodom, uh, or, I mean, I'm sorry, he was the king of Salem, and, uh, but he also told the king of Sodom, no, I, you know, I'm not going to take anything from you. Even though you've given, you know, even though I've had this great victory and you want to reward me, I don't want anything from you because I don't want to ever get to a point where you say you made me rich or you bless me. My blessing comes from the Lord, no one else. I want the God to be able to say, I made him great, and I made you great. He didn't want to be beholden to anyone. So, so now it, it's over, and the adrenaline rush comes back down, and he starts to wonder, well, are they going to come after me now? Because, you know, war begets war, right? You know, if I go up and, you know, and I'm mad at Joshua, and I really get Joshua, I got to exp- watch my back, right? I mean, if he was that type of person, which he's not, just saying. But, you know, we kind of have to watch our backs. And that's, what, that's where Abraham's, or Abram's at at this point. He has to watch his back. He doesn't live in a city where there's all these walls and all this stuff. He's a Bedouin. He moves around. So, you know, he, you know, but I don't know why. It seems that when we have a great victory in this life, and right after that, in a sense, we come down from the mountaintop, and we get afraid. We get afraid. We, we're, we're like, man, i, I got to keep my guard up here. This is where we might get attacked here. And, and, you know, so he's afraid for his family. He's afraid of what's going on. And, and, uh, but he's also thinking, man, I gave up a lot of wealth. I could have kept a lot of that stuff that Sodom said. That, you know, he, he, Sodom basically said, give me all the people, give me the souls, and you can keep all the stuff. That was a lot of wealth that he gave up. And he's probably thinking, well, was that smart? Genesis 14, 21, it says, The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hands I've sworn an oath to the Lord Most High, or God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten, and a share that, uh, that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, or Aner and Eshcol and uh, Mamre, and let them have their share. So with all this in mind, the Lord appears to Abram in a vision. He says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. You're very great reward. 
Basically says, I am your protector and, and your provider, God tells him. And, you know, first, uh, uh, you know, I, I love the words here. This is the first place it's ever showed up. Do not be afraid. And if you want to go back, you know, you, you always hear in the King James, uh, uh, you know, fear not. And that's what he says. He says, fear not, don't be afraid. It's the first time it shows up in the Bible. And this is an important statement for God to say this to man, for God to be able to say this to you and I. God tells us over 115 times in the word of, you know, in the Bible that fear is a part of our, our self-protection, and God tells us, don't be afraid. You know, we have this built-in fight or flight, right? It helps us survive. It's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing to be afraid sometimes. So the other day as I was leaving my house, uh, I had a little ninja following me named Brandon. He didn't think I saw him. He was going from place to place and kind of hiding indoors and all that. And, and he followed me all the way to the door. And I opened the door and he turned around and went back in. Well, he didn't know that I followed him. He's not as intuitive. So I kind of got back in the, got near him and I go, Brandon, being a good dad, you know, and he just freaks out. I'm not joking. He ended up under the dining room table. He was so freaked out. And then luckily it wasn't so freaked out. I mean, he was like, you scared me. And he was laughing. You know, that fight or flight. You know, the flight mode is, it's a good mode. we got to get out of here, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It protects us. Certain situations, it's good. But also what God intended for good, Satan uses for bad, Right? And it can paralyze us, and it can lock us into uh, to certain things. And Satan uses all sorts of fears in our life to cause us to look to other things to alleviate that fear. We turn to alcohol, we turn to drugs, we turn to legal stuff like marijuana now. I mean, it's just amazing. All to get away from fear in this life. It can rob us of peace, and it can rob us of joy, those things that God gives us. Even our relationship with him, it robs us from, especially when we don't trust God. There are, you know, there's some things in our life that we should fear. Something's dangerous, we should fear that. That's a healthy fear. You know, I tell my children, don't jump off from there. You're going to get hurt. Trying to develop that healthy fear, you know. Don't fall off backwards from the couch, Grayson. That's not a good thing. Yeah, I've, I've stopped trying to say stop getting on the armrest because the older one does it. And once the older one does it, the younger one says, hey, I can do that too, you know. But, you know, that healthy fear, you've got to build that up, you know. Uh, you know, I've talked to my son about guns. And, and, you know, if he sees a friend or another child with a gun, what should he do? He should run. He should not stay around them. And, you know, unfortunately, we had another shooting in a, in a Jewish synagogue. And, and again, every time these things happen, especially in a, a, a place of worship, I want to remind you, there's only three entrances and exits to this building, okay? There, somebody comes in, you got this door, you got that door. You go, you run, you don't hide in place, okay? You get, if it's safe enough to get out, you get out. That's a healthy fear built in, okay? Not that we have that going on here or anything to be afraid of here, but, but you know, for, heaven forbid something like that happens, you go. That's that fear we're talking about. When Brandon's old enough, I'll teach him about guns. I'll take him to the range to develop that healthier fear of guns so he knows exactly what a gun can do. 
but some things we should have fear about. God says that we should fear sin. It robs us of our fellowship with him. It crouches at the door. It's waiting for us, and it entices us. If the devil can drive you away from the Lord, then you're like a lone sheep out there in a world full of wolves, and you will be attacked. We are to fear, fear the Lord, the word says. Fear the Lord because it's the beginning of wisdom. You know, I love the aspect of the friendly Lord that we have. You know, we're supposed to call him Abba, Father, crawl up in his lap. But also a good father has that healthy fear with his children where the children know that when the father has that voice, they should fear that. They should know because they're doing something wrong. We should have that same healthy fear with the Lord when we're doing something wrong that we hear the voice of the Lord and we go, oh, I'm in trouble. You know what I'm saying? That's a healthy fear. But we shouldn't walk around going, I fear God all the time. Oh, I can't even, I can't even approach you. I can't, you know. It, it's that healthy fear, the healthiness of it. We should fear the coming judgment until we are saved. And then we have nothing to fear about. We should fear death until we are saved. Because then we know where we're going. And that's a hard one to, to, to come around with, you know. But once we're saved, we don't need to fear it anymore. There are things the devil wants us to fear that we shouldn't. We should never fear that the Lord is going to forsake us. Never fear that God is not going to provide for us. Jesus said what? Seek, and I want to go back to the King James or the new NASB because where I learned it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, you know. Seek the Lord first and all his righteousness and all these things will be provided. Never. Fear that the Lord won't be there when we need him. Isaiah 41, it says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He basically says, I promise that I will always be there for you. Lastly, we should never fear that once we receive Jesus that he will get mad at us and throw us out. John 6, 37 says, all those, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. The Lord's never going to drive you away. Paul said, now, I mean, you can walk away, but the Lord's never going to drive you away. And, you know, Paul says in Romans 8, it's a great chapter, no condemnation, no separation. It says in 838, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this, this phrase is important. Fear not. Do not be afraid. It's an important phrase of the Bible. There's a phrase for, you know, for biblical interpretation in, in an academia called hermeneutics. It's called the law of first mentioned. Anytime a, a new concept is, is first used in the Bible, it's very important because it sets the foundation of how it should be used uh, in the future. I mean, take the word worship. The first time it's mentioned is Genesis 22.5. 5. 
uh, and we'll get there in a few weeks, hopefully. Uh, it defines what worship is for us. The first time marriage is m- mentioned in the Bible, we've already gone over that. It defines marriage. It's interesting, the first time the phrase is mentioned in the Bible, it's used to comfort to a man who had just won a huge Bible, I mean, a huge ba- uh, battle. We're talking about fear and, and God's ability to protect him, to provide for him and his family. Men have this built-in thing, it's in our DNA, responsibility to to protect and provide. And and I'm not saying that women don't have it either, okay? I'm not going there. I'm just saying we have this innate sense within us to do that. God comes and says, do not be afraid. I will protect and I will provide. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield your very great reward. God is our reward. We share in all that he has and all that he is. What a valuable relationship that is. Because what does God own? Everything. There's two huge things here. It says God is our reward. In Romans eight seventeen, it says... Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. In other words, everything belongs to God, and we will share in that. That is a great wealth. In Ephesians 3, it says, uh, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And every time I read something like that, I always go to the song, Deep and Wide. You know the song, deep and what? Yeah, there you go. I never got the movements down. I, I don't have the dancing ability within me. So, but it's amazing for us to understand that concept of deep and wide and how wide. I mean, how you know, just how just immense God's love is for us. And to know that his love surpasses knowledge, it goes on. It says that you may be filled with the measure to, of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is, in wor- that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, our whole life should be affected by our belief in God. Every decision made should be made with him in mind. And that's a, that's a journey, that's the road we're all on, that eventually that's where we want to get. And we will get to that point in perfection when we get to heaven. So, I mean, we're all behind. You know what I mean when you feel kind of like you're behind? But that's the journey we're on. That's the that's maturity that, that we're trying to attain is, is getting to the point where what we believe in God affects our lives. To be able to say, how does this affect my relationship with God? How does this decision affect that? Does this truly show the world my relationship with him or not? Or does it go counter to what I say I believe? You know, you know, on Sunday or somewhere else, we may be saying, oh, well, this is what I believe. And then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, do our actions back that up? That's a hard one. Sometimes we'd say, yeah, they do. And other times we're like, oh, man, I really I messed up on that one. My attitude there or my actions or my words didn't reflect what I say I truly believe. You see, we want God to fill us with his spirit. So we see in verse 1, God is telling him to not be afraid. 
After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, what, are we, what is he talking about here? Well, in that culture, if a man had no, and ladies, again, it's not my fault. If a man had no children, the oldest servant in the household became his heir, okay? And then he was supposed to take care of the, 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 the wife that, you know, the husband had passed away. So, I mean, you know, you're provided for, but that's the way it worked. Abraham was saying, what is good? What, what good is all this stuff that I have? Because you, you have blessed me, but no one to bless beyond me. I have no children. Now, back in chapter 13, verse 16, God promised him that he would have descendants, so many that he would not be able to even count them, but they have no children. That was when he was 75 years old that he was promised that. He's now 83 years old at this point. Now, they lived longer and all that kind of stuff, so it's a little different. Joyce down here is getting a little frayed, you know, so... See, the reaction would leave us to believe that Abram was doubting God, that maybe he was beginning to waver. But Paul tells us a little differently in Romans 4. He says, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. See, I don't believe that Abram was doubting God here. I think he was asking questions, prompting God. Remember? You told me this. Brandon does this to me all the time. I, I, I really try to follow through on the things that I say to Brandon. Now, I'm not 100%, but I really, I do put an effort. If I say something to Brandon, I'm, I'm going to try to keep that uh, promise, because I want him to understand that, that my word is my word, and he, you know, and I want his word to be his word. You know, those, those just basic things that so many people, I mean, for some reason, we, we all know somebody, you're sitting there going, okay, whatever, you can say whatever, because I know you're not going to follow through. You know what I'm saying? But I don't want him to be that way, and I try not to be that way myself. Again, I'm not 100%. I don't want to give him false hope. But ever so often, he reminds me of something I promised him. Not because he doubts that I'm going to do it, because he really just wants it right then. You know what I mean? Well, Dad, you said that we could go blah, 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 blah. And that means I want to go right now. Can we do that? He's not negative about it. He just, you know, he's not like, well, I don't think you're going to follow through. You told me, you know, it's not that attitude. It's just that, well, dad, you said, and I think Abram is, is saying this to God. Remember the promise, God. Help me understand what and when here, Lord, because I'm 83 years old. He's asking for insight. And I believe that Abram understands that God does not lie. I think Abram knows the Lord that much. But why has it not happened yet? Why, Lord? It's, it's hard for us to understand that everything has its season. You know, the Lord may make us a promise or, or prompt us in a certain way or give us a desire, and we know it's from the Lord. It's been confirmed by other people, and, and, and it hasn't left you. And years later, you're sitting there going, I still have this desire, Lord. And the Lord's going, I know. I put that desire in you. 
what is it, Psalms 37.4 or 38.4, somewhere like that, where it talks about the desires of the Lord and, you know, being put in us and so forth. You know, the Lord puts that desire in us. And sometimes the Lord's just waiting for the right timing. All the other pieces to fall into place for that desired to come to fruition. So how did God respond to Abram's question? He responded by repeating the promise to Abram again. Well, Abram, what did I say? I do this to Brandon all the time. Brandon asks a question. I answer it. Five minutes later, he asks the same dad burn question. And I'm like, what did I just say? That's what uh, basically God says. What did I just say? Oh, well, it's the same answer. Verse 4, he goes. He says, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the stars and count the stars. Or look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What God did was repeat himself to Abram. So Abram would understand nothing has changed in this promise. Something that we need to understand uh, about God again here. Have you ever learned something and then later on you had to relearn it and you thought, oh, wait, 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 I kind of, yeah, 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 I remember this. And you start working at it and those memories, you're having to reach to the recesses of your mind and bring that, you know, back up front. I'm trying to do this with Brandon's math, but it's not helping with the new way they're going and all that. But, you know, but I mean, you have to reach back and, you know, we're like this with the scripture and we're like this with the Lord all the time. He has to teach us the same lessons over and over as we mature because we've forgotten some of the things that we've been taught. And this is how we grow. In verse 5, he brought Abram outside and said, look up, look up at the skies. How many stars are there? I wonder if Abram went, um, one, two. Okay, probably didn't do that. But it seems like the Lord was always wanting us to look up. Psalms 3, the psalmist says, but you, Lord, are my shield, or uh, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. This is, seems to me like sometimes we get caught up in situations, something's going on, something's happening, and what do we do? We kind of get that determination. Well, some people, you know, depending on your personality, you know, get that determination, but your head kind of goes down. You're, you're self-focused. You're, you're, you're so focused on, on what you're dealing with. And it's like the Lord has to come and lift your chin and say, look up. With Grayson, when I really want to get his attention, I really want him to understand something. You know, my three-year-old, I lift his chin up, look at me. Grayson, Grayson, look at me. And then I say it to him. It's like the Lord's going to Abram, look at me, lift your, look up at the skies. Remember what I said before. Why does the Lord want us to look up? Well, first off, to remember him and his great power. He made those heavens. No matter what we're going through, 
And I, I say this, and, uh, you know, uh, Mr. B uh, apparently is on his way to the hospital again. Uh, this makes the fourth time in the, in the past two weeks, okay? And it's been uh, a lot of fun, <laughs> to say the least, and a lot of, uh, you know, not, not negative, not like major stress, but stress, you know, stress on the wife. She's supposed to go out of town on a trip, and she doesn't because, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, so, so it can be difficult. And the Lord is going, but remember, look up. Look up. Don't get so focused to remember his great power. He wants us, secondly, to look up because so we're, so, so we're not so consumed with this life. We have to keep our eyes on the eternal. This is a great way to live our lives, by looking up to the Lord. Paul says in Colossians 3.2, set your minds... I think it's on the other slide, but oh well. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's where our minds should be set. And then he says, you know, going back to Genesis, in, in Genesis 15, 5, he says, He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you, count, if indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now, I want to point out in the, in the Hebrew, the word offspring is singular, but it can also have a plural application here. So it's, it's really kind of both. So some translations will say descendants, you know, with an S, and some won't. And, you know, God is telling Abraham, you're going to have a lot of family here. And he changed his name later on to Abraham. You know, there's a deeper, deeper meaning there from Abram. But, but God is promising Abram that the Messiah would also come from him, a particular seed. So we're talking descendants is in the plural, but we're also talking about the seed, which is Christ, singular. In Galatians 3.16, Paul is talking about this very, very, uh, you know, thing going on. He says the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is in Christ. See, Abraham's descendants go way beyond just DNA results. You know, uh, Jews uh, love to trace their lineage and go back, and I'm from this family, and I'm from that family. You know, uh, now that we're having all these uh, DNA places, you can send in your, your DNA, and you can trace your family tree. and uh, that, That's very important to the Jewish nation as a whole. But Abraham's descendants go beyond that. It goes to those that put their faith into the Messiah, into the Messiah. We become Abram's descendants. And that kind of messes with people's minds when you start telling Christians they're Jewish. And they're like, what? And that's what we're talking about right here. The whole world is blessed through Abram. And, you know, the whole world has a chance to come to Christ. This brings us to verse 6, and it says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is one of the greatest verses of the Bible. And we've been hitting a lot of those in Genesis because it's our foundation. But I'm telling you, this is one of the greatest, uh, you know, because it lays down one of the greatest doctrines of our faith. Justification by faith apart from works. This is huge. Martin Luther says the church couldn't survive a single hour without this. See, Christianity is built on justification by faith apart from works. It's a foundational verse. 
is quoted three times in the New Testament in full. In other words, they, they took the whole sentence and the whole sentence structure and plugged it in in Romans 4.4 4 and Galatians 3.6 and James 2.23. They all quote Genesis 15.6. Paul actually uses it in chapter 4 Romans to discuss the, you know, this one verse, and this is how important it is. He says, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, the word credited is the word uh, legate. I'm not even going to try to give it to you. I have it in my head. It's just not coming out of my tongue. But it's used 11 times in Romans 4. It's a banking word, and we've kind of talked about this before, to put to one's account. It's like, you know, you get on your iPhones now. and You know, you used to have to go online, but before that you had to go down to the bank uh, to get your statement. Well, then you got it mailed to you, but before that you had to go to the bank. You know what I'm saying? Different generations. You get on your iPhone, you look at your account, and you go, oh, this is how much I had. This is how much is credited to my account. Oh, they took out that much? You know, we all do that. It's a banking word here. So his belief is credited to his account as righteousness. This is a foundation of our faith. Verse 4 says, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. When you get a paycheck, your boss doesn't go, Here's your gift for the month. No, you go, Give me my dad burned ta- paycheck. Why? Because I earned that. I work for that. He, he, he's supposed to give that to you, it is earned. Later he says, But you didn't work for this accreditation that we're talking about here. You just believed. This is a gift. Abram believed the Lord, and and he credited it to him as righteousness. You see, what's interesting is the law doesn't come for another 430 years. So he didn't become righteous because of the law. Because, you know, later on the Jews, you know, if you lived a certain lifestyle, that's what made you righteous. But no, God promised Abram believed, and God said, basically, you're saved. So it begs the question, what did Abram believe to cause God to say, you are righteous, you are saved? What it is, is he just believed God was his shield and his reward, or was it he believed that he was having a child. Or was it that his descendants would be numerous as the stars in the heavens? Or maybe it was about the land, that God promised them the land. Let's go back to Romans 4 again. 4.16, it says, Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that maybe, maybe by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham, Abraham's offering, offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so, he, so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead. In other words, he was old. He's going, Lord, how are you going to do this? I'm too old for this. My wife is too old. We're, we're, no. 
but I'm going to believe you're going to do this. So when are you going to do this? Because we're getting older. I mean, you know, we kind of went over that. But, but, you know, it goes on here and says, since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's wound was already dead. In other words, she was beyond childbearing years. So how is the Lord going to do this? Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he, prom- he had promised this is why it was accredited to him as righteousness. Paul just said that his belief that God could bring life from death, life from death beyond the childbearing age, therefore, Abram believed in resurrection. You kind of get the connection here? God looked at this and said he declared Abram as righteous. Now, did Abram know Jesus? Well, some of us would say no, but remember what Jesus said in John 8, 56. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad, yet, I'm sorry, he saw it and was glad. You are not 50 years old, they said to him. And have you seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up the stones to to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. You know, we were kind of talking about this on on Wednesday night. Uh, You know, oftentimes we split up Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit, and and, and if we just just split them apart and never bring them back together, we kind of do a disservice to God. Yes, he's excuse me, yes, he is three, three and one, but we also have to remember Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That's the whole point of what Jesus was doing is to point us back to who? To God. Galatians 3, you know, talks about uh, faith like Abraham's faith. You know, God preached the gospel to Abraham in the Old Testament. How? Well, some believe it was in verse 5 of Genesis 15. God was telling Abram, uh, Abram to look up at the stars. And we've kind of already gone over this, some of the beliefs of the Jews and so forth back then, and, you know, and, and you know, the constellations, and, and we've talked about horoscopes and how the Lord says, stay away from that, because Satan took something that was of God and corrupted it. But God was telling him to look up, to, to read the order of the constellations and see the glory of the redemption. And we've talked about this, the Nazareth, constellations that preach the gospel. The gospel in the stars. Remember what David said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The greatest way God is, is glorified is through the, word, uh, through the word redemption. Not through the work of creation, but through redemption. Creation was easy. Creation was the work of his fingers, it says. Yet redemption The raising of life was hard work because Jesus had to come. God had to come himself and be crucified. There's 31 verses about creation, and the rest is about the good news and about the redemption that God would bring. I think God showed Abram the the gospel at this point, and that a redeemer was going to be coming, that it would be the seed of Abram. I wonder if Abram connected this to Genesis 3 at all when God said a redeemer the seed of the woman would come and resolve everything. God revealed things to Abram, and he believed, and it created faith. 
When we believe, it's credited as righteousness. So my last thing to to ask you today is this. What do you believe in? Do you believe in this verse? Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. God has built a doctrine here about what God has done for us. God died to save us. That's a very radical thought. You study any other religion in this world, and it'll show you that you bow down at the feet and you worship that God, whatever God it is. But it's all about what you do for that God. We bow down and worship at our God's feet because of what he did for us. He came and died on the cross. That's very different than any other religion. We didn't have anything to offer God. God offered us everything. And all we have to do is believe and accept that. And it's credited to us as righteousness. He loved us so much that he did something about it. He did something about it. And that faith began with a man called Abram. Anybody need to believe that this morning? Anybody need to say, I need to raise my hand or stand up and say, I needed I need to this belief credited to me as righteousness? If that is you, come talk to me. Because we need your name written in the good book. We need your name so you'll be in heaven with us. Because that's what it's saying. Credit to him as righteousness. In other words, you are saved because of your belief. Why don't we stand and worship team come and we'll finish with prayer this morning. Lord, as we, we look back at our history, we look back at Abram, we look back at all these uh, historical figures in the, in the Word of God and we see them as, as huge figures in your world, yet we come to understand that they're just, they're just men. They're just women. They're like those that that show up here on Sunday. And yet you can take us and mold us and change us and you credit the things that we believe about you as righteousness. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you yet, that hasn't been credited in righteousness their belief, that they would accept what you have done for their life, that you have died for their sins. But they would come and, and want to talk about that. But Lord, I pray for those that, that have already gone through that, that, that that's not the only thing that we have, that we go beyond that. We start showing this world what we believe in. We start showing this world that we say that what we say is what we truly believe. And that is difficult, Lord. We pray that you're right there with us on that journey. Sometimes we're going to be beaten down and other times we're, we're going to be raised up by you, Lord. We pray that we look to you in the good times and in the bad times of our lives. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you this week. May you see him in the stars. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.